Our scripture reading this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our own flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Duane. But God, I love those two words. We will, we will get there to them. Uh, but as we start, I have, I have a, a story to share with you. There was a philosopher, amongst other things, his name was Jeremy Bentham. He lived from 1748 to 1832. He was an interesting fellow who had a sick sense of humor uh, he used to carry around in his pocket two glass eyes that he intended to be uh, used on his remains when he left, and he would, he would show it at parties as what he would do. And he was, he was such an interesting character, and he thought about his death that when, uh, when he died, he planned, instead of having his body put in the ground or having money being given to the church, he's like, I'm not going to do that. He requested that... Uh, his body be preserved and that researchers use it for science and that they would actually mummify his head and preserve his body and dress his body in clothes, padded out with hay to be displayed. And believe it or not, his, his remains with a wax head can still be seen at the University College in London. As weird as that sound, uh, there's a rumor about him. It was rumored that he gave his fortune to the London hospital under one condition, that he be present, like they couldn't take the money, that's, that's a rumor, but, but he was supposed to be present at every board meeting. And it was reported for more than 100 years that his remains were wheeled into the boardroom every month and placed at the head of the table. His skeleton was dressed in the garb that he was wearing, and at every board meeting, supposedly, a line was to be read, Mr. Jeremy Bentham, present but not voting. Of course, he never voted. He died in 1832. Now, that 
That was just a story. I did some research and I was like, is that for real? Well, his remains are real and they're still there. And that's kind of odd. He wasn't wheeled in, but there's a reality as we come to this text. We were present, but not voting. We were dead when there was this appearance that we were alive. We were spiritually dead apart from Christ. If you look again at the text, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." This is a stark contrast to the way many people have thought over the ages. There are really, uh, history kind of has viewed human nature in, in three kind of different categories. One is that man is well. One is that man is just kind of sick. And then the other that we see in scripture is man is dead. Now, supporters of the first, you know, belief is, you know, Man's, man's fine. I'm all right. I do my thing. You do your thing. We're, we're fine. Everything's fine. You know, take your vitamins, exercise, get a good diet, be nice to people. You're going to be just fine. Now, the second category, kind of we're, yeah, we're, we're sick. You know, they kind of view that, you know, maybe things, maybe we're even mortally sick. Maybe there's some significant problems, but you know, everything is just going to turn out just fine. Everything's going to turn out. It's bad. It's bad, but it's going to turn out fine. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. You you might have experienced that as you've, you know, taken classes, gone to college, interact with people, neighbors. They might pick one of those two things. Everything's going to be just fine. Everything's going to work out. Or they're like, there's really not a problem at all. If you just do the right stuff, things are getting better. Don't you see that things are getting better? You experience that. But the Bible tells us and and explicitly shares with us here something different. The Bible teaches us that everyone without Christ is dead. To quote uh, Miracle Max from The Princess Bride, right? Great theologians. He says, mostly dead. He's not dead. The star of the movie, he's not dead. He's only mostly dead. We all laughed at that. You all laugh at that image. But yet, functionally, we can believe that. No, they're not, they're not dead. I mean, every, everything's really good. No. You, you are either dead or alive. Death is not a figure of speech. If you go to any cemetery, go to a military cemetery, get a trumpet out, you play Reveille. For three days straight, no one is going to be jumping out of the graves and marching, right? They're dead. We need a miracle. Now, we can think that things are fine. We look around, we see people that are strong, they're they're breathing, there's there's air in our lungs, and we we can grow in strength, and we can be active. But the reality is, apart from Christ, we are dead. 
Our souls have no life. John Stott said this. He said, We should not hesitate to reaffirm that a life without God, however physically fit and mentally alert the person may be, is a living death, and that those who live it are dead even while they are living. It's, it's a sobering reality. Those without Christ are, are living in, in Death Valley, functionally speaking. And Paul unpacks this. Paul unpacks this looking to the past. So we're both learning what it looks like, where, where the spiritual man is apart from Christ. But also Paul is pointing out, he's looking back. He's wanting to point the Ephesians and us backwards. This is who you were. This is where you were at. And have us really be sobered by the condition that we were in. Because we're getting to but God. We're getting there. Like there's this anticipation that's coming. We're going to get there. But we were dead in our sinfulness. You look back at the text. And we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. In which you once walked. So this is opposite of the, the world's trying to tell us. The world's trying to tell us, believe in yourself and you can do anything. Even famous people like quarterback Tom Brady, whether you care about football or not. He's known for saying, if you don't believe in yourself, why is anyone else going to believe in you? Believe in you. It's all about you. You can make it happen. Now, there's a reality that when you look around, all people are image bearers. We're created in God's image. So, so even... Even the spiritually dead person can do some amazing things. You can see athletic accomplishments. You can see buildings that are built. You can see wonderful works of art. You can see businesses built. You can see good things happening because we, we reflect God's character. We are image bearers. But the spiritually dead person is not connected to the vine. He may look like he's alive, but, but he's dead. Romans 3, 10 to 11 says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. This is a hard truth for some in our day. They want to look, everything's good. You know, do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. Everything's fine. Everything is good. But the reality is, is this truth points us to a doctrine that we see. A doctrine is just something that you see the Bible teaches a truth and supports, you know, a truth from scripture. And we see that, that every part of human life is corrupted by sin. That's what this is telling us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, like every part of our life. That doesn't mean that, there, that everyone looks the same way. I mean, that we, we aren't as totally, we aren't as depraved as we could be. We could see just evil running rampant in, in every single person. That doesn't mean that everyone is the same. But when it says, you know, dead in your sins, it means that, that our minds, our emotions, our heart, our will, everything 
is totally affected by the fall, by the rebellion against God that started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Everything is affected. And so we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but then we took action. We were disobedient in following evil forces. If you look back at the text, verses 2 and 3, in which you once talked. So following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience among whom you all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. There's, there's three kind of forces here that we followed, that we walked after, that we gave ourselves to. One is following the world. It says following the course of this world. We were controlled by human influences. Marketing agencies no, whether they agree to it or not, whether they realize it or not, they understand the heart of man. They understand people's inclinations. There's a reason things are marketed. There's a reason there's clickbait when you're out there on the internet to grab you. There's a reason that food ads are placed in just the right spot, right? Because they understand. There's the, the world we, we assume the attitudes and habits of the lifestyle of the culture. This totally describes my experience prior to knowing Jesus. Captivated by the value system in the present evil age. And ultimately becoming slave to those things. Those become the idols in our life when we are apart from Christ. So following the course of this world. And then also... You know, giving into following Satan. Look at, look at verse 2 again. The prince, so following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air is Satan. And it, the Old Testament refers to him. The New Testament refers to him. He's, uh, Satan is the ruler of demons. He's the ruler of this world. Some different things that are referenced to him. Paul refers to him as the God of this age in 2 Corinthians. So that's who it's talking about. And oftentimes in our culture and in the present evil age, uh, Satan's joked about. Like he's some just figure. He just kind of you know, maybe you've seen, you've seen the images of like uh, the devil figure on one shoulder and the, and the angel figure on the other shoulder. Like, oh, one's doing this and that. And they you know, make people laugh like silly things. And then, then really uh, over time, they just kind of try to make the devil figure look, oh yeah, he's kind of the cool one. That's what just, they make light of who Satan is. And that's just part of his scheme. The reality is, is he is the angel of light. He, he is a deceiver. He is the epitome of a deceiver. He wants us to believe lies. He lives lies and he spreads lies. He did it way back in the garden. If you leave your finger there, you can, you can flip back to, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter three. You know, uh, uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to them, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
He doesn't come right out and say, you know, God's a moron and he doesn't know what he's doing and he's completely, no, he just ever so slightly, did God actually say, I mean, come on, did you hear that right? I mean, was that, maybe you, maybe you misheard it and what he does is he tries to shed, shed or, or, or weave in a little bit of truth, mix in a little bit of evil and just enough good so that we will follow him, follow his devices. That doesn't mean we're under his control or possessed or something like that, but following him. We, we follow after him. Apart from Christ, you followed after him. Now, that doesn't mean that all the things that you have done that are contrary to what God has, like Satan didn't make you do it. There's a little story I read about a little girl who had kicked her brother. I I don't know if that's ever happened in your family or maybe, or even you doing that. I don't know. Uh, Sibling. So this is what happened. Uh, The little girl who was disciplined by her mother for kicking her brother in the shins and then pulling his hair. I'm sure this is a foreign story. Never heard something like this, but pulling his hair. Sally said her mother, why did you let the devil make you kick your little brother and pull his hair? Now she actually gets what's going on. She's, to which she answered, the devil made me kick him. But pulling his hair was my idea. <laughs> yes, people are under the devil's influence. But we also sin on our own. We followed, look back at the text, we followed our sinful desires, among whom we all once live, in in verse 3, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Our nature was corrupted, and we followed that nature apart from Christ. And you can read about the passions. You can look in uh, Galatians 5, verses 16 to 21, and elsewhere, passions like, things like, you know, Anger, sexual morality, idolatry, sorcery, jealousy, strife, dissensions, drunkenness, the list goes on and on. Morally, apart from Christ, we don't want to respond to God, nor are we capable of it. We're not even capable of it. We're, we're, we're dead. We are doomed. I know this is weighty, but we need to understand the weight of where we were before we knew Christ because it helps us to understand where people are currently if they don't know Christ because it says we were doomed. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath is, is not a cool name for a rock band. If one is the children of wrath, we're, we're under the judgment of God. Many falsely believe that God is, is like Mr. Rogers all the time. It's just so nice all the time. Never shares a harsh word. But God's wrath is real. Hebrews 10 says, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
Friends, humanity is divided into two groups. There, there are those who are resurrected and there are those who are dead. You are either in Christ or you are dead in your sins. No self-help book, no actions can save you. No one is crawling out of a casket. But there, there is good news. Our God is patient. And as long as you have breath in your lungs, if you are here, you're watching online, or if you're talking with someone who doesn't know Christ, as long as there's breath in our lungs, there's an opportunity for us to respond. There's an opportunity for us to bow our knees and be aware of this deadness where we're at and to cry out to God, to confess our sins and to come to him. So the door of mercy is open, but we must not, we must not say that everything's fine. It's not fine. If you don't know Christ, you're dead. Dead people can't do anything. No, we can't do more than Mr. Bentham at, sitting at the table of, of the board meeting. We're as effective as he is at a board meeting apart from Christ. We need a miracle. But but look at your Bibles. I love these two words because in the midst of the weightiness, and you feel it, right? As we're going through the weightiness of where we were before Christ, you're just like, man, I didn't come here this morning. No, we need to understand and feel the weight of it because when you feel the weight of it and you come to these words, but God, but God, in the midst of of darkness and, and discouragement where there seems to be, there's going to be no hope. Paul just kind of stops everything and says, but God, even though things looked so horrible, even though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you couldn't make yourself alive, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We are spiritually made alive in Christ. That's why even as we were singing the songs, there's a stop, like, hold on, hold on. We came in the morning Jesus calls us out of the grave because that's just the amazing thing. We were dead and now we have been made alive. And we've been made alive because of who God is. Not because of something in us, because of God's character, because of the work that he displays in us. Because even our being made alive, there's just this reality. Well, he makes, if he didn't do it, it wouldn't happen, but look what he does. But God being rich in mercy. It's important to see these three things. There's mercy, there's love, there's grace. Mercy is when, when punishment is supposed to be extended. Justly supposed to be extended. Mercy is often used in the context of of when someone's committed a crime, they are guilty. They're guilty and they should experience the consequences of their guilt, should experience the punishment for their crime. 
But then compassion is shown. Compassion is shown. There's mercy that is shown. His mercy. He's being rich in mercy because of the great love. Romans 5, 8, Paul says, God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that, the significance of that love, we like to talk about God's love, but the significance of that love is we were like cursing him. We were pointing the finger at him. We were rebelling against him. And he loved us enough to send his son. It's, it's great love. It's not loving someone who's lovey, lovely, or easily to love. It's someone who would be hard to love. Someone who would be very easy to be like, yeah, we're just going to forget you. But no, he loved us. And then Jesus drank what we should have drunk, the cup of God's wrath. Jesus took upon himself the full and complete punishment that we deserved. He became the child of wrath and we became the righteous son when he went to the cross because of God's great love for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Grace, undeserved favor. The extending of grace, by definition, is that it's undeserved. We didn't deserve it. There's nothing good that we did to deserve it. Even when we were dead. So this is an amazing truth, not only for us to rejoice in and experience the, the goodness of God in, but it informs how we interact with others. It's so foundational as we interact with others. Because you are confronted, we are confronted by the sinfulness of others. If you're a parent, you've heard the words, I hate you. I see heads nodding. If, if you have taken breath in this life, you've experienced someone who, who you love hurt you. What informs us in those moments? Because many times we receive those things and we didn't deserve them. We didn't provoke them. We're doing our best to help somebody and they bite you. Right? It's, maybe you've maybe you experienced that with an animal, like a dog. I'm, I'm feeding you here and you bit me. And then you're like, why does this feel a lot like some of the relationships that I've had? What informs us in those moments? God's character. He displayed love. He displayed mercy. That's, that's where we need to go. That's where I need to go in the midst of difficulties. When we're walking in a difficult situation, we need to remember God's mercy, God's love, God's grace has been poured out upon us that we did not deserve. That's, that's where the strength comes to walk with others because of what has been done for us. So we are 
We are spiritually alive because God displayed his character, but he displayed a work in us. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So this making alive is a synonym for obviously being raised from the dead. We're being raised from the dead, being made alive, but God has made us alive in Christ. So you remember the story of Lazarus? You know, Jesus shows up and Lazarus has died and his sisters are like, hey, you know, if you'd only been here, Jesus, you, you got here too late. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And God did that in your life. He said, Jay, come forth. He said, Alex, come forth forth. Robbie, come forth. Adina, come forth. He said, come forth. He called you out of darkness. And his words, Jesus' words, when he says that, the dead are raised to life. He has the power to raise the dead. The power of the gospel raises the dead. And so this doctrine, we talk about the doctrine of depravity, the fact that we are, that we are, everything in our life has been affected by sin. That's what makes regeneration so absolutely amazing. Because Christianity isn't about becoming a nicer person. It's not a, it's not one of the many self-improvement plans out there just to become a nicer person. No, you become a transformed person. You become a new life in Christ. That's what you have become. You are a new life in Christ, transformed by the power of the gospel. Paul wants us to understand that truth. We have been made alive in Christ. And you need to look no farther than your own story to realize that no one no one is beyond the reach of the gospel. I wasn't seeking God. I'd only reach out to God when I needed something. I wasn't seeking God. I was running my own direction. I, I can look at my life and go, if, if I play this out the way that it was going, if I take out the but God in my story, I, there was a train wreck train wreck of, of broken relationships. There would have been a train wreck of my life. I probably would be highly medicated if, if not dead because of the pursuit of my heart. But God made us alive and he made you alive. So as you think about the loved ones that you are praying for, open up this passage and you can see what God could do. Think about your own story and what God did in your life. 
And you pray that they have that but God moment. We were praying for that in the prayer meeting this morning. We were just praying for specific names for people that we knew that that God would open their eyes and make them alive because we have tried. We've shared Christ with some of these people. You've done that. You're in that experience, right? You've shared Christ with them. Maybe their loved ones, maybe their children, maybe their parents, maybe their friends, maybe their people you've known for 20 years, or maybe it's someone that you met yesterday outside when the day was nice on a walk. But God, he's the one that makes us alive. So no one's beyond his reach. And he has raised us up with him. Look back at verse six. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places. He raised us up with him. This this raising up, becoming united with Christ. In the original language, I can't pronounce the Greek word, but it has, uh, you know, some of, part of the, the phrase that we use when we synchronize something. The beginning of the word is, there's, being raised with Christ, being united with him is more than just like, hey, I, I got on the bus at the right time. It's not just, yep, I'm raised with Christ, I, I made it just in time, I jumped on before the doors closed. No, it has more of the sense of syncing our lives. You know when you have to sync your phone up? I mean, some of, us, some of us think that we still have to plug our phones into our computers to sync the information till our children go, you don't have to do that anymore. Why are you doing that? There's this thing called the cloud. Cloud, no, the clouds are up in the sky. What do you mean? Yeah, your, all of your data goes sync. Well, why is that important? So you don't lose it because it's synced with the cloud or synced with your device. And that's what this is talking about, being synced with Christ, being raised with Christ. That's why we talk about abiding in Christ from John 15 and spending time in God's word. Because it's more than just some, we're not just learning some good things to do. No, we are. We are syncing up with Christ. We are being reminded that we've been raised with Christ. But that's who we are. What defines you is who you are in Christ. So spending time with him isn't just charging the batteries. No, it's kind of hitting the reset, making sure that things are in line with who you are in Christ. It's your identity. That's why it's, time to, it's, it's important to take time with him because we are raised with him and we are seated with him. We are seated with him. You're like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm sitting here in the church building next to people that I know. I'm not seated. I'm, I'm in a chair. And when Paul talks about being seated with him, there is an experience that we have of uh, what many will call the already and the not yet. We already experience the benefits of being in Christ, but we're not yet fully in heaven with him. We're all aware we're not fully in heaven with him, but we are experiencing the benefits of that now. But we are with him. When when it says we are seated with him, that means we are with him. I had a friend who was a carpenter for a professional football team. I won't name the football team because it might distract you. But if, if I wanted to go on a tour of the stadium that that football team played on my own, I would be knocking at the door and they'd be calling the police and hauling me away. But if I went with him 
a guy who just fixed things. He was a carpenter. He'd fix the walls or floors or in charge of replacing the carpet. But if I had gone with him, you know, he wears a, a badge. And if he were to walk around that building and someone would be like, hey, what, do you, what are you doing in here? I could have said, oh, I'm, I'm with him. I'm, I'm with him. And they'd be like, okay, sir, go right on through. Now, unfortunately, in the time that I knew him, I never took him up on the offer. And you're like, oh, come on, why do you do that? But if I had gone with him, that would have been my experience. We could have gone to all different kinds of places. We would have been unhindered. Nobody would have stopped us from going anywhere. Why? Because I'm with him. So when you read seated with Christ, you are with him. When you face temptations that come and afflict you and you feel the enemy coming at you and tempting you, Um, I don't need to fight you because I'm, I'm with him. I'm with him. You no longer have power and authority over me because I'm with him. Oh, let me, let me remind you. I've, I've been raised with him. I'm, I'm, I'm seated with him. The enemy's like, no, you're not. Look where you're at. Look where you're seated. Look at the mess that you find yourself in. Well, you know... I know what I see with my eyes is not always reality. But when I read this here, this is reality. I've been made alive together with Christ. By grace, I've been saved. Yeah. Am I guilty? Yep, I'm guilty. Because it's only by his grace that I find myself in his family. I've been raised with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we have the ability to overcome temptations because we're with him. Because the enemy no longer has sway over us. He no longer has control over us like he did before. As we talked about, he did have that control over us before. We submitted to him before, but we don't anymore. And God will forever make his grace visible to us in Christ. Look, so, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are, in a sense, trophies of his grace. We are on display for others to see. He's made the promise that In the coming ages, he's going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Like many ages, the coming ages, not just the coming final age, but as we go walk through this life, as we anticipate his return, certainly when we are in eternity, we're going to look around and be like, I shouldn't be here with some of these people, but I am because of his grace. And that will be on display for all to see. God could say, look what I've done with this individual. But friends, it's in the coming ages, as we walk through this Christian life, God's going to continue to evidence his grace in your life. Whenever you bear the fruit of the Spirit, what are the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. I still feel this. Whenever, Whenever I experience patience, or gentleness, when someone has done something that, that in ages past would have 
would have annoyed me to no end. And I'd have steamed about it all day long. Whenever I'm able to be like, oh, that's fine. Extend grace. I'm like, that ain't me. I didn't muster that up. What's happening there? Certainly God has worked. And you have those stories, but God is displaying his grace. God is putting on display the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace, the immeasurable riches. Immeasurable, meaning cannot measure it. That's how much grace there is available to us, brothers and sisters. That's how much. You say, how much? Have I used it up? There's no app. We don't need an app to get on our phone and go, is there enough left in the account? It's pointless because there's always going to be so much in there that we don't need to keep track. The immeasurable riches of his grace. There's always enough grace for you, no matter what you are walking through. And as God displays his grace in you, he gets glory. You don't have to be in a place of perfection. In fact, you can't come to him if you aren't in a place of perfection because you don't need to because you're perfect, but you're not. So don't look at the, the imperfections. Look at what God has done. That's why we need one another to remind each other regularly about his grace because he has, he has shown and he's going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm.